All right, issue 16. Front line. Front line. Front line. They're stalking behind comic scenes. Behind the comic scenes. Mark J and Tim. It's the spin-off that has survived. There's no yawning to find the meaning. Is it good? Is it shite? G.I. Joe Frontline on. Talking Joe. Well, G.I. Joe Frontline on. Talking Joe. G.I. Joe Frontline on. Talking Joe. Well, G.I. Joe Frontline on. Talking Joe. So 16 is called Security, the creative team. Story, Will Wilson and Corey Mitchell with Brandon Joa on script polishing. Pencils, Eddie Barrows, again, same artist as uh, History Repeating. Uh, Links Studios covers the inks, no named Inca. Also Colours, Links Studios, Letters, Dreamer Design and Graphic Design, Mike Norton. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. We've got uh, two covers here. We've got cover A, artist John Rauch, colours by Andrew Pepoy. And that's got three Night Vipers holding Destro's helmet, doing towards Cobra Commander. Cover B is a, is a double cover, front and back. Link Studios, Clint Hilinski and Andrew Pepoy. It's got um, a Night Viper on the front with Days of Future Past style posters of Destro crossed out. And on the back cover, we've got uh, mostly low lights and snake eyes with a Cobra Commander in the background. What do you think of these covers? Jay, why don't you start? I am not a fan. Yeah, um, I don't know. The first one, you know, I'm looking at it while you're talking. I, I, I kind of like the musculature and the lighting on the main uh, Night Creeper. Uh, the the flames, you kind of have to think about. I think about, well, maybe, you know, it's like, why am I seeing like sporadic flames? Well, maybe those are from like torches or something like that. Well, if they are, we should see the torches. Uh, again, we've got a Destro mask with the huge John Cena jawline. I'm not a fan of. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's okay. Again, would it make me buy the cover? Not necessarily. Uh, that a lot of that is content, which we'll get into when we get to the story. Yeah, I like it. I like it when people play with um with with trying to create reflections, uh, like reflections it's in hard. Destro's mask. It's it's yeah, definitely hard for sure. And I think I think they they do relatively well with the the reflection of Cobra uh, Commander there. Echoing Tim, we've got a question being asked. You know, yeah, what's going on here? Why, why have these night creepers got Destro's mask and presenting it to to Cobra Commander? The the, the cover B is a little bit more sort of generic. Doesn't necessarily make a huge amount of storytelling yeah, sense. It's just it like let's stick some some characters here, there, everywhere. You know, it, it, it look if if you sort of concentrate on the more you concentrate on it, the less it makes sense why are there all of these posters behind the the night creeper with destro's face being crossed out on each each one yeah they didn't kill destro five times <laughs> why is low light stood in front of him why is snake eyes sort of phasing through a wall <laughs> why is cobra commander's head immediately behind snake eyes and in front of this wall what is uh zartan doing in that smoke sort of prodding snake eyes in the leg with a gun 
you know, it, it's, it's a failed movie poster. So cover B is supposed to be a montage, but it is ineptly done. And so it reads, you have to like, think about it. Like, oh, that's a montage. These characters aren't actually like sharing a right. space. It's like Jay just said, it's like movie poster, like heads and heads and torsos sort of overlapping. Some are big, some are small. Some people do that well, some people don't. And the the team here is not talented enough to pull this off. Um, cover A, at first glance, I like it because the Night Creepers are so cool and fun from the toy and then how they were used briefly in the Marvel run around, you know, issue 97. But the problem here is that there's sort of like two colors on this entire cover. There's the sort of like pink blue of Cobra Commander. And then there's the like murky uh, orange magenta brown of everything else. And that might actually be sort of the color that the gray, purple, magenta, silver Night Creepers costumes appear to the human eye if lit from behind by torches. But the the color in the background, both the color and the value, and by value I mean brightness, right? Like on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being brightest, 10 being darkest, right? Like think of white to black. Uh, the color and the value of the background is too similar to a lot of the colors in the Night Creepers. And so there's a boldness in the actual drawing and the inking, which helps, but the coloring here is kind of mush. And I find this kind of Destro helmet confusing and disconcerting and it's no one artist's you know problem or responsibility like in the animated series as within rise of cobra you know sort of magically destro's mask like moves perfectly with his face as if it's just like silver paint on a a, a man's face you look at the like some of the early issues of the comic and you look at you know, the Hector Garrido painting for the original action figure and the original action figure. And you get the sense that it really is a mask that doesn't move. Like the, it doesn't have a furrowed brow and cheekbones that come up and down. And like, you just see lips moving up and down behind a little slit for the mouth. So I understand that like no one's ever landed on this, like definitively and every version treats it differently. But when you have these like crazy sort of Steve Kurth style cheekbones from uh, Reinstated, the first four issues by Devil's Do, but then it's like, it's it's not going to be a mask. Like holding Cobra Commander's hood, it would sort of hang. Like that's not what a Destro helmet should do. But like, is this the front half of the helmet? And there's also a back half. I, I just find this sort of confusing. It shouldn't have the collar. I think if it didn't have the collar, it'd make more sense. Yeah. There, yeah, there you go. Because the collar would be for like keeping it in place or like mm -hmm. bolting it to the like right, shirt that or didn't the work. jacket or something. Um, and then uh, uh, one, one, one other problem, uh, and this is a devil's due problem in general. This is like Blaylock and his like arts direction for his whole take on the property. The original Night Creepers, think of the action figure, super flamboyant, right? Like it feels very in keeping with Cobra where you have like co costumes with like shoulder pads and capes and open chests, right? Like Destro and Mindbender, right? Like those colors for the original Night Creeper, kind of silly, right? Like the understated Storm Shadow, the understated um, like aqua recolor of Storm Shadow for the Ninja Viper. Okay, by the time you get to the uh, Night Creeper, 
It's like, well, there's like gray and purple and magenta and silver. And like, there's a lot going on. At the same time, that costume is remarkably simple and streamlined and elegant. And look at the crap on the sides of the visors for these night creepers. Like, yeah, I noticed that. You, no one, No one needed to add little edges and bits and like it looks like sort of fingers it's like no no don't do that you know like don't don't do that it's like the difference between i don't know transformers in 1990 and like the michael bay live action transformers like too much uh and then um we have the return of the um the like was it 2003 era logo type for gi joe with the red outlines and then the the stripes that become the stars which didn't we see that only on the was it the first issue of frontline and then it dropped out it was on the first four yeah first five i think actually i think it had the first thank you yeah yeah um and i actually think you know and i might have said this when we reviewed the first four issues of frontline i think having this different logo could be helpful for frontline because with the word frontline at the bottom of every cover you might grab then or now in a back issue being now you might grab an issue of frontline and think you're getting the main devil's due series Mm. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder whether they chose it just because it's slightly smaller than the other logo that that was used. Um, so it meant that then they're not chopping into the night the night creepers, the top of their head. Wouldn't you then just shrink the regular logo? You might make it a little smaller. But you know, in terms of a logic, maybe maybe, maybe that's the logic. Okay. I don't know. Uh, I'm just trying to find right, so that, some reason they would do it. Uh, that's that's actually not a bad. Uh... All right, I'm done complaining about the covers. Now I the, can complain about the. Uh, I was, was going to point co- out as well the the other thing about the cover B that that sort of doesn't doesn't necessarily bode well for it is is that you know with the Destro posters in the background, it sort of compares a little bit to uh, issue 116 of the the original GI Joe run, which was a um, Destro must die, and a, you know a great cover by Michael Golden. So you know, always uh, difficult to, you know, to hold up something to, to such a, a, you know, a strong comparator. So, n- you know, not it's not going to compare well. But, okay, let's let's leave the covers to one side. Uh, what happens on the inside of these? Jay. In London, England, a masked intruder invades a parliament security house and assassinates a high-ranking member of parliament. At the same time, on an island in the English Channel, Destro and Cobra Commander are arguing about the security of Destro's stronghold. Destro tells the Commander that he is as safe there as Destro wishes him to be. Suddenly, Zartan drops from the ceiling and puts a gun to Destro's head. He pulls the trigger on the empty gun, demonstrating that he could have killed Destro had he wished to. Destro tells Zartan his security forces alerted him to his presence 20 minutes before and that Zartan was there because Destro allowed him to be there. The next day, Duke, Stalker, Snake Eyes, and Lowlight investigate the assassination. Duke tells Stalker the victim was a former member of the Crimson Guard. Snake Eyes discovers a poisoned dart behind the victim's ear. In Paris, the Night Creeper receives a dossier on his next target, Destro. Cobra Commander tells Destro he has hired the Night Creeper to kill him. Destro is indignant, and rightly so. The Baroness pulls a gun on Cobra Commander and is met with a throwing star to the hand by Storm Shadow. Don't you understand, the Commander asks Destro? This is all part of a test. If you're so confident the facility's secure, then you have nothing to worry about. I just thought it might be good sport to warn you. Back at Joe HQ, Lifeline and Mainframe have identified the poison from the dart with a toxin found in the glands of a rare frog. After some digging, Mainframe links a man named Joseph Ulrich with the purchase of the frogs. Ulrich has purchased the frogs seven times in three years. The latest delivery was sent to Paris. 
Stalker volunteers himself and Snake Eyes to go to Paris and pick up Ulrich. Later, as the Joes prepare to bust into Ulrich's hotel room, the Night Creeper makes his way closer to Destro. Snake Eyes and Stalker kick open Ulrich's hotel room door. Stalker sees the room is rigged with explosives and barely manages to save Snake Eyes from the blast. Storm Shadow happens upon two dead Cobra officers and finds a poison dart behind one of their ears. Stalker and Snake Eyes learn the Night Creeper's latest target is Destro. Storm Shadow tells Cobra Commander Ulrich is in the base and asks if he wishes to go to the bunker. Commander tells Storm Shadow there's no danger for them there. Destro tells the commander he is naive, but is then told by his men that the base's security nets have been compromised. Behind him, a Cobra officer loads a bolt into a crossbow and aims it at Destro. Suddenly, a second Destro appears, pointing a gun at the disguised Night Creeper. First, Destro removes his mask to reveal Zartan beneath, and Destro fires at the Night Creeper. The Night Creeper disappears in a cloud of smoke, only to reappear moments later with his sword in Destro's face. Shots ring out, and the Night Creeper falls. The Baroness stands in the doorway, smoking gun held high. Destro takes the gun from her and kills Ulrich. He then turns to Cobra Commander. Just then, the base is rocked by a huge explosion. The Joes have arrived. The Cobras escape, and the Joes identify the dead Night Creeper as Ulrich. The Baroness asks Destro about the Commander's contract with the Night Creepers. Destro tells her, though the Night Creepers are worthy assassins, their greed is their folly. I simply made them a better offer, he says. And in Zurich, Switzerland, another Night Creeper receives a dossier bearing Destro's seal. The end. I want to point out that that wonderful summary, just written and recited by Jay, is for one 22-page comic. And if you think I'm about to say, man, so much got crammed into just 22 pages, what I'm actually going to say is either this comic is a, is a noble failure or this comic is a failure. I thought this was a bad issue and I couldn't follow it. It's too many characters, too much confusing cross-cutting between scenes. Yes, I mean, Brandon Jerwa told us when we interviewed him recently on this show that he was brought in to do some work on this issue. And I can't tell if he was like saving some people from a sinking ship or if he like showed up and the sink had already, the ship had already sunk. And he's like, well, I have to report that the ship has sunk. <laughs> I think this, I think this comic is a fascinating example of a story that gets away from the writer or uh, an editor who's not like having enough back and forth like revisions with a writer or in this case, two writers. I think this issue is a perfect example of the kind of comic that you just say like, you know what, you know what, this isn't fully baked. We need to like take this off the Mm. schedule and like rework half of it or start over. But like, we are not going to publish this comic and we'll like pay the fee for missing our like print window with the printer and we'll like pay our fee to Hasbro and like not making any money off this issue. I also think, and then I'm going to hand this, this mic off to you guys. And I'm sorry for starting us off on negative, but I, I find this issue like fascinating. Um, I think this comic is a really good example of what people who don't know what GI Joe is think GI Joe is, mm. which is like a lot of just like, all these characters and like, if they've like read Larry Hama stories or like have heard about them, it's like, Oh, I guess it's like a, a lot of like machinations and, uh, and there's even like the final page is even like a very like Larry Hama ending. And it does resemble a Larry Hama Destro story that we have read recently. I think these ingredients would work, uh, with, a another pass or, uh, a different creative team behind it. Absolutely. So, 
So the the writers being Will Wilson and Corey Mitchell. Um, very difficult to find much about them online. Various sources spell their name um, in different ways. I don't think that that the credits in in this issue have spelt their names co- correctly. So Corey Mitchell and William Wilson. Corey with a an E and Will as a William comes up with a few more results. They're credited that they've written a script for an Escape from New York anime film, which uh, never saw fruition. Brandon Jerwood described them as writers from Friends. So, uh, so you know, I, I don't see any reason to disbelieve that, that possibly that's the, the foot that they got in the door that they, they, they've written for the, you know, the sitcom Friends and uh, that carries a bit of a cash with it. And, and so, so that got their, their foot in the door with Devil's and- so Brandon Jerwa says that they were writers on Friends, and I just want to point out, uh, I I couldn't find their names on the IMDb, and it may be that I wasn't searching hard enough because uh, there do seem to be different spellings of their names. That that what's credited in the comic is incorrect, uh, or or maybe they weren't writers, but maybe they were uh, uncredited producers, um, but. Uh, I, I could not, in addition to sort of regular regular Google, as Mark says, I, I could not find them on the internet linked to that TV show. So I, I feel like we're missing a, a piece of information, sort of the right spelling, or um, maybe it was a different show, a different TV show that uh, Jirawa was thinking of. Could be, yeah. I find it totally fascinating that if that's what it was, or something very similar, a different TV show... I find it totally fascinating that Blaylock asked them to pitch or they cold called them the way that Jurawa did or there was some mutual connection because like that show or a show like that, that would be a big deal. And like you usually like like look at the back cover to um, issue 16, right? Like it's the ad for the next issue written by Paul Jenkins origin Spider-Man. It's like. That's a big deal. Like, that's a get. Like, oh, this guy wrote that Wolverine story that everyone was freaking out about. And he wrote a, a bunch of great Spider-Man comics. And yet, and here are these two people who seemingly have a connection to something high profile, whatever the TV show might be. And maybe that's like too far afield of G.I. Joe. And a Joe fan's going to be like, well, that's not impressive to me. Why would you promote that? But I feel like that is the kind of thing mm. that Devils Do would promote. You know, it's like next month's issue of G.I. Joe Frontline uh written by so-and-so so-and-so or maybe 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 there were some uh hard feelings if the story got rewritten or if the story wasn't what the writers thought it would turn out to be or what devils Mm. do thought it was getting into and this is this is just conjecture i have no facts uh to base this on but you know, maybe Devils Do didn't or couldn't sort of promote this issue as coming from these writers based on their other work. Yeah, it could it could even be that their pen names or something like that, that and that's why they're so difficult to track down. Uh, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, and <laughs> and comics comics has a history of pen names. You know, like uh, many M hands, you know, for inking, like at Marvel in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And the in 2000 AD, they were like particularly famous for it that um, because 
because otherwise they they it would be looking like that the, there's just the same creators are literally writing the entirety of the the comics so they sort of mixed up oh. the, the the names to 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 one make it look like the the sort of the, the writers were more diverse than they actually were uh, for the readers but but also uh, to, to slightly pull over the the eyes over the wall of some of the powers that be that that would be annoyed <laughs> that that one creator was getting so many uh, so much money <laughs> for for writing the entirety of the comic but there we go that's a whole different uh, different story as you say this is this was probably a script that had a lot of problems with it and with devil's due not necessarily having a massive kind of editorial department of their their own they they asked um uh, brandon to come in and save what what he could but but i guess if you know if you're not trying to kind of sort of take it apart and start from scratch but you know try and just do a bit of script doctoring of of what you you can around the basic structure that already exists you can only get so far so uh, i think he, he talked about um the fact that they had uh, snake eyes talking which was one thing that he could rescue relatively easily but sort of the, the basics of the overall story and the you know setting and how it all hangs together you know you can i guess if you're working with a story that has been given to you you can only you know do so so much without basically rewriting it from from scratch entirely there's there's a lot that is a bit strange in terms of the the story itself and doesn't necessarily make a huge amount of sense like why is a big chunk of it set in england there there isn't actually really a very good storytelling reason for it to be in england rather than in in america and, and the fact that it is in england makes less sense because in this universe you know i don't think it's been established that gi joe is like an international peacekeeping force with a base in england or anything like that it's you know it's still an a real American hero. It's a you know team based in America, largely dealing with American threats from from Cobra, and even from an artistic point of view, there's just lots of just things that just don't make an awful lot of sense. There's they there's a lot of playing with the kind of the outline of the page, the the sort of the panel structure with lots of curves, and there doesn't necessarily to be seem to be an obvious storytelling reason for. For doing that, and it sort of just creates a bit more confusion for me than it. Arrows did that a lot in the last issue of um, of the history repeating itself arc. There were a lot of pages that had that kind of uh, like a half circle border on either upper half of the page or, or lower half of the page, and it just confused thing. I mean, it doesn't really confuse it, but you look at it, and uh, every time I look at a page with that kind of uh, diagram for the layout, it there's just so much wasted space you've got almost a panel of, of wasted real estate. And as we've talked about before, real estate on the page is, you know, money. There's a lot of different problems with this story in particular and not even touching. I, I, I like the story. I thought the story wasn't bad as far as how it played out. Uh, I'm really tired of the whole Destro versus Cobra commander thing. I think, I don't know why at this point there's no, there's no reason why Destro being as smart as yeah. he is, hasn't just told commander to go uh, do something to himself because you, you wouldn't put up with this, I, you know, and it starts clear back in the first issue of reinstated Destro's very first scene. Of course it was Alexander Destro, but it's the same thing. He walks in and he calls Cobra commander buffoon. And they're just, you know, it's like, if these guys never get along, then why do they work together all the time? 
they don't succeed at anything. There's nothing to keep the partnership alive. You know, and and here, this whole issue just revolves around Cobra Commander, for some reason, putting a hit out on Destro to test its security. I mean, it's just the the plot, the reasons are are just dumb, just dumb, dumb. The the story is overloaded. And, okay, so, oof. um, I know, right? I'm just going to... Uh, <laughs> where to start? I, yeah, where to, you know, it's like, well, there, there are two coloring mistakes that like made the scene very confusing for me. And then there's some like, I don't know where this person is standing in this room kind of visual storytelling mistake. And uh, there's a, like this line of dialogue feels really out of character uh, mistake. And there's a like... Um, mm-hmm. So it is hard to know where to start. Um, I was going to say, like, you, just flicking through the book, you know, page page one, you know, we're meant to be in London. There's a bunch of soldiers milling about, sort of scratching their heads. Why, you know, why are they milling about? These kind of complete unprofessional, you know, soldiers. Why, why are they not in? You know, what nationality are they meant to represent? Because it's clearly not, uh, you know, an English uniform that they've got on. Then you flick flick the page, and then we've got. The, the night creeper scene and the Zartan infiltration scene and it's very little clarity in the in the storytelling that's differentiating them them apart. Flick the page, you've got a, a necklace that has been cut. cut. There's a you know, in a you know, big zoom in on this necklace, so the necklace is clearly a very significant part of the story. Uh, oh no, it's not. It, it's never it's been just seen before, or been seen before or, or since. Wait, 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 wait. No, that that's okay. So all right. So. Uh, very good, thank you. Okay, so everyone, Is that uh, at the bottom of page three, there is a knife uh, up against this man's head, uh, his neck, and he the man has a mustache. And this is this thing where the story is cutting back and forth within one page, panel to panel, between uh, London and an island in the English Channel. And the only the first time that we cut from one to the other is there a caption that says, meanwhile, yeah. at the other location. Then the scene just jumps back and forth. Okay, so at the bottom of page three, uh, there's a knife uh, near this guy. And he has a, like, dark gray-blue necklace. And then you turn the page. And so then, like, then Zartan lands in his hotel room. Oh, wait, no, that's back at the island on the, the other location. I don't know. You turn the page... <laughs> And the night creeper is leaning forward and has this dagger or knife against the man's neck. And the man says, please, I won't tell, I won't tell. And then it says, ka-chink. And so I think the night creeper just decapitated this guy mm-hmm. or kind of chopped symbolic. off his, or chopped off the necklace. And that's the visual that yeah. like, okay, this guy also is about to get killed, just got killed off panel. We're not going to see it. We're not going to see blood. We're not going to see a silhouetted like head separated from a body. So in fact, we have, uh, uh, Mark, seen this necklace before, only four panels earlier. But it was a different color. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. And then uh, let's go back a page, right? So this is, this, is, uh, this is back on page three, right? First panel of page three. I wish that I could act surprised. Unfortunately, your presence has become a constant in my life. We had a deal, Commander. He's saying to Zartan. Because the person <laughs> right. he's talking to is colored like Zartan. And Zartan has a brown hair cloak hood thing. And Zartan has like a brown pants and like a brown shirt thing and like silvery shoulder pads. And then the next panel, there's a night creeper in this guy's hotel room. That's in the other scene. Yeah. And then in the third panel, 
if you're all wondering what I meant by in the previous issue, artist Jeremy Love always draws straight on. This is a good example of a really motivated angle up where we need to look past Cobra Commander and Destro to to see Zartan coming down. But here, it's like, oh, it was Cobra Commander in the first panel, miscolored yeah. as Zartan. And like, you wouldn't think, co-hosts Mark and Jay, and to our tens of thousands of listeners, you wouldn't think that something on the printed page the size of half of my pinky fingernail, miscolored, would like make an entire scene confusing. Yeah. <laughs> Here it is. You wouldn't think that. Mm. Um, so, uh, and then going ahead a couple pages, there's the scene in Paris where there's some kind of uh, like spy or like bad guy agent exchange. Dead someone drop. is walking away from the Eiffel Tower, yeah. walks past someone on a park bench, puts a Cobra folder into a trash can, and then the guy who's sitting like goes and gets it from the trash yeah. can. And, right? we, like, and we know that it's like a dead drop type spy situation because we've seen other spy movies where something similar happens. Right. They usually don't put their insignia on the envelope. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise he might walk, walk away with a, with an empty McDonald's bag or something and, and come back and it's like, oh, it's just some, you know, cold chips. What the heck? Ronald McDonald is found dead the next day. <laughs> okay. So these two guys, the the first two panels where we see the guy walking and the guy sitting. And we know it's very, Paris because there's the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> uh, in the first two panels where we see these two guys, the one who's walking and the one who's seated, they're both drawn very far away, very small. And so you have to pay attention to, to see that like one of them has sideburns and the other, I can't tell. But then one of them has glasses on. It's like, okay, it's hard to tell who these two guys are, if it's the same guy, if it's three people. But, okay, I figure out from the context that, thank you for that term, Mark, it's a dead drop. When he's introduced at first, in the one panel, he's he's got his back to us and he's far away, so we can't see glasses. And then the next panel, he's in complete silhouette, so we can't see his glasses. And it's only then in a sort of on the following panel that we see this guy in glasses who hasn't been established in the, in the previous panels. Exactly. And the thing, perfect. The thing that I was going to also add on top of that is in this first panel on this page where we finally see the guy with the glasses, that's a really big panel. That's one quarter of the entire page. And that is all to establish this white guy with brown hair and glasses, sunglasses. Who's going to be dead by the end of the (laughs) issue. Who we never see again. Yeah. <laughs> and you can sort of you can sort of see a reflection in his glasses of the other guy walking away. But again, it's a little unclear because um I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna just interrupt myself for a moment as an aside. As an aside, everyone, the end of a page <laughs> and the beginning of the next page is not the only uh, place where you can change scenes, ah. but it is a natural break for a scene change. And so the fact that the second panel of this page is now like the next day during the day outside a hotel with the Eiffel Tower to like reestablish this. That's fine, but it's like one more example of how you know the like the space of the story is not being used judiciously. But let me go back to this first panel where this guy with the uh, glasses that are like very shiny and reflective. This guy who doesn't say or think anything, and I appreciate the attempt here that the dead drop is all done wordlessly, right? They don't pull it off, but I appreciate the attempt. At this point, I wish someone had been narrating the scene. It's like, you see, Zaten, uh, 
one of my Crimson Guardsmen is in Paris right now, and he's going to do a dead drop by the Eiffel Tower. Right, like something. Some John Byrne dialogue right there. A lot of space is given to this guy with the shiny glasses. And, like, considering he doesn't say or think anything there, considering in this first panel we don't know where he is. Is he still outside? Is he back into his hotel room? We don't, like, it's not like part of the folder is, like, up into the panel or his hand is holding it. That's a lot of space for a drawing of a guy who, as Mark said, we don't see again after this page. And also, I don't know why this panel is here. And not on the previous page. Like, the final panel where, like, we see his hand holding the photo of Destro, that's a big reveal. That panel wants to be big so that Eddie Barrows can draw a big drawing of Destro and the reader can go, oh, Destro's the target, even though you sort of know from the previous panel because you see just enough of his costume, right? But, like, you know, big panels are either big because they need to contain a lot of information because you want to slow down your reader so they, like, stop and, like, take it in the way that a long shot in, uh, I mean, duration, I don't mean distance, in a film, you, like, slow down the pace of the edit as opposed to lots of quick shots. Lots of quick shots, the comics equivalent is, like, lots of small panels. Though it's not, you know, it's not a precise one-to-one uh, relationship. But this is a choice, and I don't think this is the right choice for this scene. And that's this is, like, the least of the problems of the issue. <laughs> this, like, random guy with... Sh- with shiny glasses is like gets a very big panel that's too big you flick over the page and uh baroness is getting a shuriken right in her wrist uh right in the back of her hands uh from storm shadow you know looks pretty brutal you know that's uh that's properly embedded in there and drawing blood again as a scene where you know <laughs> inter inter cobra bickering it, it it seems this is taken to the extreme i mean when they're hurting each other and and I, and I can't put my finger quite on it, but it's like that's too much. That yeah. that wouldn't happen. That isn't the right reactions from these any of these characters. Yeah, because she's she's pulled a gun. And it, again, it's not helped by the storytelling. That that awkward layout. Uh, it's sort of like problem on top of problem. Yeah. It's like, well, she wouldn't have pulled it. It's like, oh, he wouldn't have thrown a throwing star at her. Well, she wouldn't have pulled a gun. Mm. There's uh we're gonna get to favorite line, but I'm just gonna jump ahead and do least favorite line because this this to me is part of the problem of um sort of not having a handle on these characters. Least favorite line. Least favorite line. Tim doesn't like it. Someone is talking. Dialogue's clunky. The words are bad. Uh, so uh this this page uh sorry it's page one two three four five. We start looking up at this building. And Duke is narrating, and he says, uh, no prints, no sign of entry, no suspects. Uh, we found bodies in the tool shed. And then someone... <laughs> uh, okay, you guys see the second panel where there's dialogue yeah. that mm. says, whoever did this sure wasn't here for high tea. Okay, is that hand, does that belong to the corpse in the bed <laughs> in the next panel? Or is that like oh, yeah. low light or oh, stalker? Yeah. Like doing that sort of um, acting thing where you like put your hand out with your palm up when you're like, what do you mean? Or like, look over there. Hey, everyone. That like cliche acting. That's totally the hand of the dead guy. I think you're right. That's the dead guy's hand. And the balloon should be pointing at Duke. You're right. Or Or maybe the guy searching should be saying that. Or the the guy or the random guy searching. Okay. So we're still not at my least favorite line yet. Um, (laughs) So, all right. So Duke, Duke is saying he found a, groundskeeper found bodies in the tool shed whoever whoever did this sure wasn't here for high tea 
And then Stalker steps into the shot, uh, and Duke asks, digital documents, paper trail? Stalker says, nothing. And then Lowlight says, computers have been wiped clean. And then uh, Duke says, no surprise, our star victim here was a former member of the Crimson Guard. And then Lowlight says, remind me again why we should give a rip then? Sounds like a Cobra on Cobra crime to me, Duke. Okay, the second half, that's great. It's like, oh, yeah, actually, like, let them shoot themselves up. But like, okay, Lowlight... You cannot care that a Crimson Guardsman has been assassinated by someone, maybe someone in Cobra, but you are staring at, in this very panel, at a dead army guy on the floor that Snake Eyes is, like, checking out. Like, pe- more than one person died here. Like, that's too callous. I know that Lowlight is a smooth operator and, like, a cold-blooded killer because he's a sniper, but, like, what? No. That's that's not how a Joe talks. And also we find out from the news later on that this guy who died uh, was a Cobra, you know, a Cobra agent who's given himself into security agent, you know, intelligence agents in, in London. So, and, you know, it's, it's obviously sort of turning on Cobra and is going to give in some good intelligence in, and, and be given back some uh, witness protection. It's very ineffective witness protection, as it turns out. But this would be a big story. The Joes would you know, should be all over this and know about it, wouldn't it? Be like, you know, why would I care? He's Cobra. But, you know, he's, he's you know, turned on Cobra and he's going to give a bunch of information that's going to help us. A couple pages later, Duke and um, Lowlight and Stalker with Snake Eyes are talking to Mainframe and Lifeline on a big computer screen. And Duke says, good idea, Stalker, especially since our satellites picked up something this morning that looks like a cobra base on an island in the channel might be a good field exercise to check out don't you think and stalker's sort of like scratching the back of his head and looking at snake eyes and stalker says don't look at me man i don't really want to go to france either what <laughs> why you don't want to go to france it's like what? you're in the army like you guys are fl- you guys fly all over the place all the time you are tough and like this is your job. Like what? Like no, no, no. Let me let me fix this dialogue for you. Uh, like don't look at me, man. Uh, but I sure can't wait to get some crepes once we get to France. <laughs> it's like you know, while we're in France, might as well look up my friend or do some shopping for my wife who I just saw. Or like like what? Also, bring something home for Alvin. <laughs> and also depending on where the island is in the channel, it could be in the front side or the English side anyway. They're not being given enough information. Hey Mark, are there a lot of islands in the English channel? <laughs> I thought I thought the same thing. I thought I thought we need to ask Mark. That's great, Jay. Yeah, there isn't a, I don't think there's a huge amount of islands in the English channels for us. Like most of them like to the south and uh, I, I I want to point out one more thing. I, I don't know if if uh, Wilson and Mitchell wrote dialogue for Snake Eyes that got as far as into the script and then sort of like drawn in the script and then lettered. And then Jurawa comes in and is like, oh, wait, wait, we have to take this dialogue out. Please take out this word balloon. Or if like much earlier, they turned in a script and... Blaylock's like, oh, Jerwa, can you like fix this before it gets drawn mm. or before the rest of it gets drawn? But this same panel, this bottom half of a page where, um, you know, there's this there's this corpse in the bed, the hand that we just talked about. And uh, Snake Eyes is in the foreground kneeling and looking at this army guy who's dead on the ground. Eddie Barrows does a really nice thing here with Snake Eyes' pose. Snake Eyes is like 
gingerly investigating the dead guy and look at what his hand is doing. He's like reaching for something. And I, I feel like there might've been a word balloon here based on this body language where like snake eyes was saying something and they're like, Oh no, no, no. Take that out. Take that out. Something else doesn't make sense about this story is the use of the poison darts. Uh, when they find the dead guard in the parliament building and the dead cobras in Destro's base, they have poison darts behind their ears, but the killer has a sword. He kills the former Crimson Guardsman with a sword. Uh, if you were an assassin and you were into killing people with poison darts, wouldn't you save that for your targets? Yeah, it's it's his thing. It's, it's his bag, baby. Speaking of the black uh, Garu frogs with the poison toxin darts, the G.I. Joes find out about it. Is it because they're highly trained and they're really expert on sort of deciphering <laughs> mysteries and doing research and all the rest of it? No, it's because they watched a documentary on the Animal Channel and so happened to have seen it. Oh dear, that's lame. No way, man. I love the idea that Joes are watching Animal Planet or Discovery Channel. I love that stuff. Some Blue Planet with David Attenborough? Hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, just just earlier, I was talking about this one panel of the, one of these two agents during the dead drop at the Eiffel Tower and how the panel is much bigger than it needs to be and it doesn't add anything to the story and it ends up being confusing. And here's another example. Pages 16 and 17, I'm reading the issue, uh, the actual comic book. So 16 and 17 face each other, right? I don't know if in, a, in the reprint, they're like split on a, on a left side and a right side and then a left Wait, side. Wait, what's but, on those pages? 16 has six small panels on the top and then a big panel of Stalker and Snake Eyes looking at the photo of Destro on the bottom. The swimsuit calendar panel. And then page <laughs> 17 is back in the Cobra base. It has four panels and then a very yep. big panel on the bottom with Jay's favorite, Eddie Barrow's drawing uh, an arced uh, panel gutter for some reason of a random Cobra soldier. Okay, this is a really good example. So Eddie Barrow's pulls off the storytelling, but there are seven things that need to be shown here on page 16. Storm Shadow looking at these uh, unconscious or dead cobras, like, or finding them. Storm Shadow kneeling over to investigate. A close-up of him seeing the dart behind the ear. Uh, the um, uh, stalker and uh, snake eyes crawling away from the exploding um, hotel room. Then they get up, and for some reason the TV's still on, but Okay. Uh, Snake Eyes grabs this Cobra f uh, folder and then Stalker opens it and then we see what's in it, right? Okay, so uh, one, two, three, uh, eight things, right? There are eight panels. And do you all, I mean, the two of you and anyone listening, do you think that the most important beat here is when Stalker and Snake Eyes are opening a folder that we've already seen opened in a, on a previous page? Like maybe every panel here wants to, I'm not saying one of the other panels needs to be bigger and this one can be as small. I think maybe all these panels should be equally big, but like they get more space and this panel gets less space. It's not as if there's like a ton of dialogue that Stalker is reciting here and we need a lot of real estate for it. And then similarly on the next page, when I read this page, it's like well composed, but pretty crammed of Destro approaching with his soldiers and uh storm shadow and cobra commander on his throne and we do see past this cobra soldier or officer in the third panel which which is a nice touch he is set up before with this this very very conspicuous like close-up of him that gets half of a page but it's like oh is this like scarface or like a friend clone in disguise is this like 
this person must be really important. And then it is because they try to assassinate Cobra Commander, but like they're not anyone in particular. And also I've talked before about it's, like, it's the night creeper, Tim. Is it? It's the night creeper assassin. We just, that he's dressed up as a Cobra trooper. Okay. Th- sorry. Thank you. Sorry. I sort of given up on reading this page, <laughs> uh, which is why. It's just that, Without those really characteristic sunglasses, which is the only thing we know about him, it's uh, harder to tell. But so here's so I, before I talked about how um, when the Joes are in their civilian clothes, it's a really funny uh, excuse me, it's a really fun nod. If like you know, if Duke is in just like a regular shirt and and pants, maybe the shirt can be yellow and maybe the pants can be green. And if Stalker is in like civilian clothes, like if Stalker's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. That's confusing because Chuckles should wear Hawaiian shirts, even if in a Joe story, anyone can wear anything, right? I'm not saying that Scarlet is the only person in a G.I. Joe story who should use a miniature crossbow, but it's a little bit of what I'm going to call brand confusion when only one person has ever used a miniature crossbow in G.I. Joe animation and comics. And in a story where I'm already confused, here's someone and I don't know who they are, using a mini crossbow. And I didn't think like, wait, is this Scarlet? I did not think that. But I thought, <laughs> wait, why, why is this? Why this? It's like, I guess it's because he's like 15 feet away. And that's how he's shooting the little darts with the frog poison. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't follow this. I can't. And then the next, the next page, who blows up in the fourth panel? I, I think it's Night Nightcrawler from, uh, from the X-Men. They've just got confused with the name, Night Creeper, Nightcrawler. So they're like, like is, those Night Creeper that... ninjas, they've, they've got a BAMF ability, right? I almost put in a plot breakdown. Night Creeper teleports. Is that... Crap. Is that, a, an, ex, is that an explosion? Yes, it is. Is that an explosion of blood because someone's being like like destroyed, but their helmet... Like, is this a joke? No, like, he's, their helmet he's, survived. He's dropped like smoke grenades. He's dropped smoke grenades with going poof. And he's hidden behind the cloud of smoke, and then he reappears and and threatens okay. Destro with a but sword. This, but the smoke explosion is sort of drawn like an incendiary explosion with like yellow and red. Yeah, it's colored like an explosion, not a smoke bomb. Sorry, I, I, I meant to say colored. Yeah, um, like even the the uh, when Destro. Okay, in that second panel. Um, I suggest you take a closer, uh, cl- you take closer stock of all the players. Zartan, what is the meaning of this? And both Cobra Commander has a little surprise thing and Storm Shadow has a little surprise thing. And Zartan has been posing as Destro in this scene. And Zartan is taking off the Destro helmet to reveal that it's he, Zartan. Um, does there, is there something funny in the art here? Does like, does it sort of look like something has been like copied and pasted? Like, like Destro's helmet was drawn separately and like inserted in Photoshop on top of Zartan's head. Like Zartan was holding something else. Looks a bit wonky, what? doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, is that how you take Destro's helmet off with one hand? I, I could not, I could not follow this scene. And then, and then you turn the page and, and then bear, the, it doesn't read well. You're reading it, and it's like Destro is talking. Uh, the Night Cooper points the crossbow at Destro. Then Destro turns around and points his gun at the Night Creeper. But all of a sudden, there's another Destro there, and he takes his helmet off, and it's Zartan. But where did he come from? We should have seen him, like, 
step out from behind a pillar or something. He just appears in that second panel. It's like, oh, there's two Destros. Okay. And then it happens with the Baroness. You turn the page and like, and I was saying this as a joke, like a half hour ago when I was as a hypothetical, but here's the Baroness standing in front of a closed door. Did she just come in through that door? If so, maybe the door should be open. If she's been in the room the whole time, maybe there's some indication earlier in the scene that like we actually see her hiding. Or if you don't want to reveal it, maybe her pose here should be more like she just jumped out from behind a box as opposed to like sexy comic book woman X-Men Psylocke pose. Baroness here, like, I just fired my gun and I'm sexy, right? <laughs> um, Destro probably has those super fast closing doors like on the Death Star, you know what I mean? Just bam, they're closed. Yeah. Uh, I... I by this page I had I had given up on this comic. <laughs> and and again, I don't want it to seem like I am uh angry or like I'm not gonna like tear this comic in half. Uh I'm not gonna give it a ten on my Yo Joage scale. But I'll I'll go back to like again, I think if you read comics and sometimes you like them and sometimes you don't, and you're not always sure why. I think you should read this comic because this is a really good example of many things not working. But if I was at a store flipping through this, thinking about buying it when it was new, I wouldn't pick up on any of this just from flipping through it. Like you have to actually read this one to like bump into a wall. If I was flipping through it, it's like, oh, cool. The Night Creepers are here. Like, oh, there's a lot of characters. Like, oh, there's some Joes. Maybe I catch that panel at the end that Jay just referred to. Like, oh, there are a bunch of vehicles. Cool. And again, I'll, I'll say this again. I think... Uh, there is a there is a famous GI Joe writer who's written most of the GI Joe comics who <laughs> could pull who could and regularly does pull off a story this busy and I think sometimes we take that for granted because that writer makes this kind of thing look easy mm-hmm. and maybe it is for that writer maybe that writer just gets lucky a lot of the time and these writers uh, didn't uh, I do think anyone would have a much better time with this story with like fewer elements, right? Too many Joes, too many Cobras, too many non-Joe and Cobras. It's like, oh, and also there's a poison frog. And we actually see it. It's like we actually see the poison frog in a glass jar in in one uh, panel. I think this is a really good like teaching tool, this comic of not too many cooks in the kitchen, too many ingredients on the counter. I feel like this story would have been helped uh, a lot and Barrows probably would have helped uh, a lot at this stage in his career too if he would have in laying out the pages and stuff tried to use a, a standard nine panel grid for each page um, it, I mean if you look his work inside the panels is all strong I mean at least his faces and stuff but the flow of the story suffers from the overly complicated page layouts not just the curved panels but th- that's a big problem but um, just everything is kind of all over the place. There's too many panels. If if I may take a guess for uh, Jay, I think in referring to a nine panel grid, you are not suggesting that every pan- page have nine panels. You're suggesting that every page start with a template of nine panels that are all the same size. And Barrows, if he needs more space, he like takes two of those and combines them or like three of them or or six of them. Yeah, right use that grid as his starting point and adapt as needed for the story. Yeah. The, the, I mean, we've not necessarily said it completely out loud, but, but I think the art generally here is good. You know, it's, uh, he did a pretty good job on the history repeating. And for the, for the most part, you know, what he's doing here 
it it doesn't look like ugly art you know it generally you know he's doing interesting things and and not playing it safe and and they characters are you know generally pretty clear when they're colored the right color and that sort of thing but uh, but they you know the art generally is pretty good i'd i'd say the 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 layout is unnecessarily confusing and and the storytelling is is confusing and that'll be mostly driven by the script i'd i'd say you know in terms of cutting in between scenes you know that's probably more script and, and coloring rather than necessarily the the choices that that barrows is is making in the in the art those curved borders take up so much real estate on the page there's so much wasted space in every panel where those curves are used okay what else have we got i've got a i'd hesitate to say favorite line but i've got a line um which is duke uh sort of responding to the observation that people are being poisoned by uh, frogs and he says frogs beats the hell out of polar bears i guess which uh, is is an interesting throwback in terms of we're creating a bit of a, of a you know a chronology here that that we're sort of throwing back to to the second arc of the series, and uh, another kind of ice spy is that we got annihilators here, and it's you know good to see some of these lesser known characters crop up, and again they're drawn as big guys, which is uh, consistent with how they're being shown in the main series when they pop up in the cabal arc i think that's the lot from me i'm done i'm spent i i don't have a favorite line i have a an i spy go for it uh but it's sort of handed to us on a platter um there's there's a real life tv news anchor uh formerly of fox now on cnbc shepherd smith and here he shows up in the night creepers hotel room as shep shepherd but yeah, but uh, his his face is like copied and pasted uh, like five times, uh, which which is a thing that either like inkers can do once they've you know inked the art and like scanned it, or if they're just drawing natively in Photoshop, or maybe they'll leave a note and the colorist does it. And uh, as as a general rule, I don't like it. But it even happens on page one, where we see those guards that were conspicuous to Mark, and they are copied and pasted in reverse in the Night Creepers. Um, visor which Uh is like yeah that's a shortcut don't do that i have nothing to add i actually have a favorite line of dialogue yeah uh page four panel four destro says to zartan consider yourself lucky you belligerent swamp rat (laughs) (laughs) like that's always going to be zartan's thing no matter what kind of power and influence he has some people are never going to see him as anything other than a swamp rat you can take the rat out of the swamp, but you can't take the swamp out of the rat. I I think Destro I think Destro watched the second animated miniseries just like the rest of us, and uh, and he's he's paying very much attention to Zartan's original vehicle, even if that tracks all the way back to eighty four. Okay, let's uh, let's score this one uh, with our Yo Joe scoring. Okay, so I gave the last one three and a half. Not a great story. Not a great score. This has got a more confusing story, but I kind of appreciate the you know the GI Jonas of of it, and, and I I kind of prefer the the art style a bit more. Um, but really, uh, kind of on a par. I'm I'll say I'll I'll think to be fair I'll I'll keep it consistent. I'll go three and a half on this one as well. Jay, my rating. Uh... 
I agree with Mark. I think that this issue is a lot more, we'll say, G.I. Joey uh, than, than the Stalker issue. So just on that basis alone, uh, it's a little better or, or, you know, more enjoyable to read. It, it felt more like a Joe story. Uh, it wasn't a very good Joe story. Yeah, I mean, the art is mostly good throughout. Barrows does a lot of nice stuff, uh, especially with the Night Creeper. But the story's just got so many problems. Uh, I'm going to give it a four. I, I have read, uh, you know, amateur comics, you know, published by very small black and white publishers from the, you know, from the 80s and and, and more recently, you know, sometimes uh, very small publishers ship free copies to my store with a letter saying, here are some of our comics. Please uh, order some if you like them and think you can sell them. And they're not always good. You know, there are publishers, you know, like less well-known, Marvel, DC, Image, Boom, IDW, Dark Horse. There's like a tier below them in terms of like how much money they make and what how much they publish. And there's a tier below them. And then it's just sort of like one or two people on their own. And there are some inept and ugly amateurish things out there. And those would get a zero or a one. And Mark makes a good point that there, there's, there's still a lot of G.I. Joe-ness to this story. But this is an inept comic book. This is a two. But as a teaching tool, uh, I'm glad I have it. There you go. Excellent. So uh, last time we talked, we we had got to the end of Innuendo. I used up all of my Innuendos. Um, so, so that was put out for uh, retirement. But I do have a new feature. Uh, this uh, feature is called Squiduendo. This is a very sort of timely cash in on the the nowness of <laughs> of the word squid. So it's 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 the squiduendo game. We'll we'll turn on the the red lights and the green lights and see how Jay and Tim get on. Today's Squidgeo game is all about the G.I. Joe character Squidmark. So this is is kind of based on your knowledge of that uh, character, who, who might also be known as Skidmark, but for the purpose of this, um, sounds like Squidmark. Uh, so are you ready for some questions about uh, Skidmark? Yeah. Yes. Okay, uh, let's, uh, let's alternate. Uh, so Tim... What color and and Jay, you can you can you know I think maybe you can you know if if the if the first answer doesn't get it right you can you know chip in and uh, play your squid card and uh, see if you can uh, steal a point. Okay, so Tim, what color are Skidmark's pants around his waist section? Uh, green. Green light. Yeah, a kind of olive green. Green light. Okay, Jay. Skidmark is the Desert Fox driver released in 1988. But what is the Walmart price sticker on the box used in the scan on 3D Joe's? What year was that? 1988. I'll, g- I'll give you a, t- a, a plus or minus $2. Um, let's see. $12.95. Oof, you're off. It was 
Uh, Tim, let, let's see if you can steal this one. It's because it's Jay's question. I'm going to shrink down the size of uh, the boundary. Do, 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 do. One dollar, Tim. Uh, Fifteen. No, you even farther away. It was seven dollars seventy-six. Oh my god! In Walmart in nineteen eighty-eight. I just saw an old Star Wars ad on Facebook, and the Rancor monster was like twelve ninety-seven or something. And someone said that was only twelve ninety-seven. Why didn't I have that? <laughs> okay tim so the desert fox has a subtitle on the box in big letters underneath where it says desert fox but what do those letters say uh isn't it four wd four wheel drive Red light. oh uh, so close so close oh six six wheel six drive wd <laughs> six wheel drive absolutely uh, so I'm going to have to take your first answer on that one then, Tim, even though clearly you did know what the right answer should have been. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jay, how many Joes does the box say that the Desert Fox has room for? So it says room for X Joes. What is that X? Twelve. Um, no, not even close. Tim, I'll let, I'll let you steal, but you have to get it exact. Uh, six. Six. It was six Joes. Green light. Jay, did you not have the, the Desert Fox? No, no, I never had that one. It, uh, I think it came out probably a year or two after I got out of the hobby. It's big, isn't it? I was trying to picture it. All I could think was like three Joes on either side and three in the back. It's the one based off the Humvee, right? Oh, the, the, the ha- hammer? The hammer? Yeah. Yeah, the Desert Fox is more like the size of the... Like the Allstriker? No, it's more like the size of the Snowcat. Oh, well, that's bigger than the Allstriker. But not as big as the Hammer. Okay, and final question from Squidmark's file card. Uh, it, it concludes, The worst thing that his teammates can say about him is... Dot, dot, dot. I'll give you both the chance at this one. What do his teammates say about him? I'll give I'll I'll give it to put the person that either gets it exactly right or makes me laugh the loudest. So the worst thing that Squidmark's teammates can say about him is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna play it straight and not try and make anyone laugh. Uh, his his terrible jokes, his bad sense of humor. It's not that he smells. <laughs> yeah. Larry, Larry does like to describe people as smelling. Uh, it seems like a disproportionate amount on the ta- on the file cards, but I don't think in this case. Sorry, was that your was that your um was that your? Yeah, yeah, he, he smells. The, the worst thing that his teammates can say about him is he smells. So the the actual answer is, of course, the worst thing about about him that his teammates can say is he has poop stained trousers and that he should change them. No, no, no. It is actually. He does his job, is what they say. It's like those schools you see with the banner in the front yard that says, this school is rated adequate. <laughs> <laughs> he is competent. Uh, <laughs> he has a good attendance record. That uh, that that smacks to me of uh, the person writing the file card sort of going like, oh, man, I got to write 30 of these this year. <laughs> and, like, all these guys are like the best of the best. How do I how do I make them really interesting? It's like, well, that guy smells and that guy's got a bad sense of humor. No one liked this guy's uh, music. This guy's like a chef. Uh, this guy, he does his job. 
he's there so uh tune in next time for more squid not squid games no it's not that um it's squid you enjoy um and if you or anyone else listening has can come up with <laughs> with any further squid related uh puns uh relating to gi joe please let me know and then i can try and uh rinse this for more than two weeks oh there's all kinds of squid related characters you can quiz us on shipwreck wetsuit <laughs> squid squid ad- squid adjacent characters torpedo eels <laughs> hydro hydro viper hell yeah hydro viper is awesome so next up, we've got a return of a segment that we've not seen for a, a little while. Uh, G.I.J. sent me in the post um, the Baroness classified figure with the coil motorbike. And um, we thought, what better use than for uh, us to open that uh, with Thomas and have him say what he thinks. So here is uh, the long awaited return of Thomas Talks Toys. Kids with toys, Pokemon. Kids with toys, Kids-with-toys-a-little-pony-kids-with-toys-a-little-pony-kids-with-toys-a-little-pony-kids-with-toys-a-little-pony-kids-with-toys-a-little-pony-kids-with-toys-a-little-pony-kids-with-toys-a
Your hands in the air. Get your legs in the air. What? Design feature. Okay, let's go through the various bits of this toy, Thomas. So uh, first up, let's start. Figure. So what do you think of the figure? Quite nice and detailed. Nice. It's quite a sort of... Uh, Faithful to the original design, isn't it? Looks, you look at her and you do, do think, Baroness. What do you think about the different uh, the different bits? So the accessories we've got those dual pistols that can go in her uh, back holsters. I like jewelries, so we've I'd got say... the yeah. Yeah, we've got I'd the... say those are ten that? out of ten. Ten out of ten on the guns. Okay, the Cobra. Dagger that goes on her thigh. Eight-ish. Nice touch. Uh, we've got some sort of very glasses, glassy-looking glasses. Um, I'd say they're hard to do, so hard to do. Nine. Yeah, nice effect. And what do you think of the uh, the ninjury helmet? Do you Eleven think... out of ten. Oh, you're into the helmet, are you? I like it. You think uh, you think that will get played with? Do you? Yeah. And then the bike itself. It's pretty cool, pretty Akira ishy. <laughs> it's got these uh, detachable guns on the side. What do you think? Into the into Tricky. the into the bike. Tricky. It's your first first GI Joe classified vehicle. Hmm. It's got quite the tires feel a bit rubber. Wait, do the tires move? Tires move. Okay, then this is a good one. <laughs> ten out of ten. Okay, ten out of ten. So honestly, if I was picking favorite features, the helmet. Okay, their favorite bit might be the helmet. Interesting. Okay, so that is. Wait a... When it's part. So that was. G.I. Joe, Baroness, with the Cobra Coil, Cobra Island Special Missions, Bucks, thumbs up. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Wait, I gotta do it so it's my... So it's like... Peace out. Peace out. So there we go. Thomas with uh, the Baroness. Thank you, Jay, for supplying that. What did you think of the Baroness figure herself, Mark? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a good figure. I think. Yeah, I, I like the way that they've done her sort of dual wielding pistols and and that kind of uh, kind of thing. My only complaint is, and maybe this is because of the way the figure is designed to sit on the bike. Uh, her legs seem kind of bent. Like when you try to stand her up, she doesn't stand up straight real well. She looks kind of bow-legged <laughs> bow-legged <laughs> otherwise i think it's a great figure probably the best baroness figure we've ever gotten very good excellent so i think that is uh us done this week uh next time on talking joe disavowed we will be seeing off the frontline run by looking at the two concluding parts issue 17 and issue 18 uh, again they're one and dones one is about beachhead and one is about roadblock and i think I, I i'm confident in saying we will probably rate those better than the two this week <laughs> nostradamus powers
And then, of course, come back for all of the other good stuff. We'll, we're continuing to cover the issues of A Real American Hero as it comes out, as written by Larry Hammer. Yeah, he's, we're seeing continuing uh, one-off spotlight issues. So uh, looking forward to exploring those. Where can people find you guys? Tim, where can people find you? A real American book.com and also my comic book store, Hub Comics in Somerville, Massachusetts, which is right next to Boston and Cambridge. Excellent. And any progress with your book over these last few months? No, it's been. No, it's. I know I told you uh, a year ago in our interview before I became co host that it was going to be a great time. But uh, it's actually been a hard time. Uh-huh. Lots, lots of stuff going on outside. Some, yeah, much of it good, like the store. Uh, if, if, if all of you listeners enjoyed the three of us talking about um, the Snake Eyes movie that was released this summer, you may be interested in reading 3,500 words written by just me, which I posted recently on my blog. Yeah. Jay, where can people find you? Cut out the dead words and uh, just read Tim's thoughts instead. So. <laughs> Jay. <laughs> <laughs> Now, all kidding aside, I did read that article, Tim. That was very good. Uh, definitely recommend all our listeners check it out. Thanks. I, I, I like the bit at the end of the article where you link to us. That was my favorite bit. I, I, was, uh, I was impressed with uh, how thoughtful each of you were about the movie. So I wanted to uh, send, send my tens of thousands of readers your way, our way back to the podcast. Thank you, Tim. Um, yeah, very well written as as always. Yeah, if if you if you just listen to this and you haven't visited uh, Tim's uh, website, uh, please please do go over and and check it out. Um, I'm sure you'll get uh, lost in it and spend hours quite easily, sort of uh, delving through the the archives over there. Uh, and if you uh, enjoyed listening to us, you can find out more over on the website. The website name is talkingjoe.co.uk, and that has got links to all of the other places you can find us. So uh, the Facebook group, so come on over there and get involved in the discussion. Leave your thoughts on the latest episode. We're on Twitter and Instagram. We're also on YouTube. So each of the episodes is released as a, an episode with additional video content cut in. So if you enjoy the YouTube episodes as well, like, subscribe and leave a comment. It's nice to know that uh, people are watching and uh, enjoying it ideally as well. So please do that. And uh, we'll also give a shout out to the people that uh, take part in our Patreon. The Patreon can be found at patreon.com talking joe. A big thanks to our backers, Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, and Justin, who are taking part in that. There's no minimum donation, so so don't feel that you would have to break the bank to take part in that. All of those guys are getting early access to episodes, as well as some exclusive content. So... Uh, oh, sometimes like three weeks in advance. Yeah, we've we've had we've even had three episodes up there that haven't been revealed to the public as as yet. Uh, we've also got uh, all sorts of yeah extra content for for like the sketchbook shows and stuff like that. So you can you can see all of the images that we're looking at. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of 
uh, stuff to explore, some of which is uh, unlocked and available to everybody. So uh, do head on over to uh, uh, patreon.com Talking Joe and uh, have a look, even if you're uh, even if you're not uh, subscribed, you can uh, you can probably find a few things of interest over there. But I think that is us done. Uh, but remember, nobody beats Talking Joe, a real American podcast. With also a guy from England who sounds a little bung, bunged up. Anyway, later, guys.